potential and possibilities, discussions with fascinating people, designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome, everybody, again to another episode of our show, bringing you another really fascinating guest today involved in creating a better tomorrow. Uh, today, we have the honor of being joined by John Bensich, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Achieve Life Sciences, uh, which is a specialty pharmaceutical company focused on addressing the global smoking, health, and nicotine addiction epidemic that we have among us, uh, ultimately through the development and commercialization of the novel drug compound, uh, Cytus Nicline. Uh, Mr. Benchich uh, is an experienced financial executive. He spent over the last two decades guiding financial and corporate strategy uh, within the life sciences industry, also the technology industry. Uh, before he was appointed to CEO, he served as Achieve Life Sciences a CFO and Chief Operating Officer. And prior to joining the company, uh, served as the CFO of Oncogenics uh, Pharmaceuticals and the publicly traded uh, biotech company. Uh, previously, he served to that. He served as CFO of Integrated Diagnostics and Alizine, both private VC-backed companies. Earlier uh, in his career, he served as both the Chief Financial Officer and Treasurer of Tribion uh, Pharmaceuticals, a publicly traded biotech company where he helped complete the uh, a successful sale of that company to Emergent Biosolutions. And prior to that, led the global financial operations for Onyx Software Corporation, publicly traded software company. Uh, John started his career originally at Ernst & Young, uh, graduated from uh, UC San Diego with a bachelor's in accounting, got his MBA from Seattle University and was a CPA. Uh, in the state of Washington for 17 years. Uh, now onto some really interesting stuff that I'm really looking forward to discussing. Uh, but John Bensich, uh, welcome to our show. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ira. Um, needless to say, um, this problem of nicotine addiction is still with us in 2023. Uh, and you know, just taking a look at some of the numbers um, out there in sort of the public space, also your investor presentation, they're big. Um, hundreds of billions of dollars still spent with healthcare associated with smoking. Uh, we got over a billion smokers still out there. Um, major cause of morbidity <laughs> around the world. Um, talk to us a little bit about sort of where we are in 2023, just from the perspective of this really sizable pandemic let's say uh of smoking and nicotine addiction this this really is the pandemic that i think doesn't really get enough attention to tobacco and smoking related diseases are the leading cause of preventable death around the globe uh, there's over eight million folks that are dying annually here in the u.s it's close to half a million 
yet despite that, we've seen no new FDA-approved treatment options in nearly two decades uh, to help on this front. And we currently have no options available for folks looking to quit e-cigarettes uh, and nicotine-containing vape devices. So, you know, this is a, a problem that still needs to be addressed. There's 47 million uh, folks in the U.S. currently using tobacco-related products. Uh, and, you know, we think we've got a potential solution that could help really move the needle here in a, in a category that I think has largely been forgotten over the last two decades. Yeah, it, it's so interesting because I'm I'm a pharmacist by undergraduate training and I worked in retail a long time ago. And I, I remember, you know, sort of just looking at, uh, you know, the presentation, you have your, uh, your, your sort of your nicotine replacement stuff, and then some repurposed antidepressants and so forth. And I was like, wow, that's what we were dispensing 30 years ago. Um, and it's just, it's, it, it's interesting how the, um, the industry really, <laughs> they dropped the ball on this one, uh, because it is, uh, so prevalent. Um, it, it's you know interesting looking at um, uh, cystinicline, which you know it's a compound, uh, natural product, alkaloid, um, been around for a little bit, some other places, and but not here, not in I guess many parts of the world. It gets me thinking a lot of uh, some of the other topics along this line we've touched on on the show things like metformin which uh you know it's a major diabetes drug nowadays there was a good 40 year lag between when it was launched in in europe and by the time we got in the united states what's the story on, on this compound in particular right? i know it was hot in i guess eastern europe and, and new zealand i think but well, talk about how you how you got got focused on it and picked it up it's a really interesting story so the this is a, a naturally derived compound. Uh, the origins go all the way back to World War II uh, when uh, some of the, the troops, Russian troops, were in the Balkans. Their supply lines got cut off. Um, they ran out of a number of things, including cigarettes. So they started rolling up the leaves of uh, indigenous native plants in, in, in the area. Um, and they found that this particular plant, uh, the laburnum tree, uh, people had a, a lower desire to smoke. So after the war, a, a bunch of research was done uh, and in fact, there was a, a nicotine-like alkaloid uh, in uh, in this plant. Uh, so they ended up developing this, uh, getting cytosinicline on the market in Eastern Europe. Uh, it's been on the market for over 20 years, over which time it's treated over 20 million patients. Uh, so a long history of safe and uh, efficacious use in that area. Um, but it's unfortunately, you know, a product that was never going to be brought uh, to the U.S. or any major markets. Uh, the originators of the compound uh, out uh, out east, you know, they uh, are really focused to kind of ex-Soviet countries in you know Ukraine, Russia, uh, Poland, Bulgaria, kind of everything, kind of uh, eastern. Um, so you know, we identified this as uh, an interesting compound, and you know. You've probably seen it uh, over the years. There's been a lot of interesting compounds that uh, never lived up to their their promise. So I think we had a high degree of, of skepticism early on, uh, and we worked with the regulators, uh, Cancer Research UK, as well as some investigators down in New Zealand, to run some you know effectively proof of concept trials to validate the historical data sets. 
Uh, and everything we've seen so far has really confirmed uh, that historical data. Um, you know, we, early on, it showed we were about three and a half times better than placebo, uh, and then uh, also better than nicotine replacement therapy. Um, and that really set the foundation to to drive this this program forward. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I, I like that. Th those parts of the story. One, well, of course, natural product, uh, having some background there, but at the same time, sort of this repurposing theme of, uh, and, and sort of finding uh, new uses for for something that uh, might have been forgotten to <laughs> the time. But um, talk a little bit about mechanism here, because again, this is um, you know a lot going on up here uh, inside the skull. In specific, you know, here uh, you have to deal with obviously the nicotine component of smoking and vaping, and sort of the biology that goes on there with the the stimulation of the receptors, and then also all the pleasure on the back end of the dopamine release. And it seems like you have some really interesting uh, MOA happening there, and in, in the way that. Uh, uh, this compound does its blocking, but also sort of a, a slow, let's say, normalization of both the release of the dopamine as well as sort of uh, sort of um, uh, a reconditioning of the of the nicotinic receptors. Say say some words about this, if you would. Yeah. So we think the mechanism is really uh, on point for for treating nicotine addiction. And so if you think about a, a user of nicotine, typically what you'll find is that the nicotine receptors in the brain will overpopulate. So as they continue to look for more of the nicotine to get that dopamine release, um, that's typically how it's presented. So cytosinicline works directly on those uh, nicotinic receptors, uh, and it works as a partial agonist antagonist. Mm -hmm. So in one sense, it comes in and it blocks the receptors. So if you continue to smoke while using uh, the product or really any form of, of nicotine use, you don't get the same pleasure and satisfaction that you normally would because the nicotine can't get into the receptors. Um, but it does partially stimulate the receptor. Um, so you do get a, a little bit of the buzz associated with nicotine use, albeit at much lower levels. And that helps with the cravings and withdrawal symptoms. Um, and this is really a, a validated target. There's been a lot of work done uh, around this mechanism. And the key difference that we have versus, uh, you know, the one other product on the market that also shares this mechanism, which is varenicline or Chantix, mm -hmm. uh, is that cytosinicline is highly specific to the nicotine receptors. Um, and so what it leads to is better tolerability. Um, Chantix in particular has a number of off-target effects, uh, which leads to uh, a high rate of, of adverse events, in particular, uh, roughly a 28% of nausea, uh, which is in the label. And we've actually seen more nausea on the placebo arms in our trials um, than we've seen on active. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think in this category in particular, you know, safety and tolerability, I think is really critical. And this is not, you know, an oncology setting where people are willing to put themselves through just about anything to survive. Um, this is more elective. And I think if people feel terrible on the medication, uh, they're less likely to comply um, and less likely to have a, a positive result uh, on, on the outcomes. And, you know, speaking of positive results, you know, you just recently um, you wrapped up um, a phase two study called uh, it was called Orca V1, specifically looking uh, at safety and efficacy of, of the substance focused on on vaping cessation. And as, as you pointed out at the beginning, um, this is something that 
that no products for and you know that still united states with these e-cigarettes close to 10 million users um walk us through a little bit about some of the top line findings uh, with regard to orca v1 and, and, and a little bit if you could just you know what's what's the um i'm not a smoker but i, I just when it comes to sort of vaping issues uh, or the issues associated with vaping withdrawal versus cigarettes are there differences are there any unique uh things you got to think about with this particular patient population i just i have no experience with that so i'm just wondering if there are any fun facts uh, along the way yeah well so this is uh you know this was a proof of concept trial uh in e-cigarette users and we were fortunate enough to get a grant from nida and nih to help sure. support this trial you know they've uh, they've deemed cytosinicline a drug of national public health importance um, and they've stepped up in a number of ways uh, throughout our development cycle including you know partially funding this trial which we're very thankful for um and so in in this setting you know, one of the key differences we've seen is actually a, a much younger demographic compared to what we're seeing on the cigarette smoking side. That's probably the primary difference. So, you know, in, in the trials we've seen on the smoking side, it's mid 50s typically is, is what we're seeing. Uh, for the vaping trial, Orca V1, we saw mid 30s. So almost two decades younger. Um, and majority of them were former smokers that used e-cigarettes uh, to try to quit. And now we're hooked on e-cigarettes. Uh, and then the other third or so uh, uh, in this trial uh, were were younger folks that never smoked. Um, mm. And I think that's one of the the sad things is, you know, we've seen huge strides over the last many decades in terms of reducing uh, new folks coming to cigarette smoking. Um, and now with the advent of Juul and these other popular products, we've seen a, a new uh, epidemic of youth, you know, uh, who are going to be nicotine addicts that never would have picked up a cigarette to begin with. So this was a category that we'd been quite interested in in exploring, you know, based on the mechanism of action, we should have activity in any form of nicotine addiction, whether it's smoking, vaping, chewing tobacco, snooze, you name it. Um, it just so happens that vaping is the next largest segment that made sense to go after. Um, and, and as I mentioned earlier, all the products on the market today for smoking cessation are all generic. So no one has been looking into, you know, whether there's applicability in, in the vaping segment. Um, mm -hmm. So we really see this as a, an untapped opportunity uh, and, and, and an opportunity to, to transition this product from not just being a, an aid to smoking cessation, but a treatment for nicotine addiction uh, more broadly. Um, so you know, this study was uh, was running 160 nicotine e-cigarette users, um, really looking at 12 weeks of treatment um, with, you know, two to one randomization. So twice as many on, on active as placebo. Um, and what we found was, uh, you know, a, a 2.6 higher likelihood of quitting uh, with folks on our treatment arm compared to placebo. Um, and as that presented, it was about a 32% quit rate at the end, the last four weeks of therapy compared to 15% on placebo. Mm -hmm. um, and that was statistically significant, which was quite remarkable for such a small trial. Mm -hmm. um, and, and those that four week consecutive abstinence rate um, is effectively the FDA approvable endpoint, um, at least using smoking as a, as a proxy. Um, so we were very, very happy to see that. And I think what we've always seen historically is a very 
tolerable profile, and that continued to resonate uh, in the recent findings that we announced a couple of weeks back. And so clearly that study leads to the design of a phase three and, you know, potential registration. You additionally have the other ORCA studies going. I mean, you, you have data coming in, I think, in a little bit from ORCA 3, which is phase three for traditional cigarette smoking. Um, what, what what are the plans uh, in a, a sort of both these in both these directions? And tell us a little bit what's happening and what's coming up. So the focus on our side has really been, let's get this product on the market as, as mm -hmm. quick as we can. Again, given the fact that we haven't seen any new treatments in almost two decades, uh, the smoking cessation indication is uh, the front runner at the moment. Uh, we've completed one phase three trial uh, that read out last April uh, in 2022. Um, that was a success and we validated both six and 12 weeks uh, of therapy. Um, and so the second confirmatory trial that's at 20 different centers in nearly 800 subjects uh, we'll read out in the second quarter of 23. So that is uh, imminently upon us uh, as we speak here. With that trial in hand, uh, we'll be looking at uh, moving forward in the smoking cessation indication, getting that on the market. Um, and in parallel, we'll have discussions with FDA around what's the appropriate path to move forward uh, for an expanded indication uh, to open it up for vaping cessation as well. And our belief is that a single phase three trial is likely what will be uh, uh, required for approval. Um, and that will likely happen, you know, perhaps a year into the uh, the commercialization for the smoking cessation indication. Excellent. Um, I, I know there's obviously it's biotech companies. There's there's a limited uh, amount of direction you can go. But uh, nonetheless, when we were talking about um, some of these mechanisms per the nicotinic receptors and dopamine release and all that. Uh, clearly, there's a lot of unique pharmacology there that goes beyond uh, uh, nicotine and, and, and smoking um, withdrawal. Any, I mean, not, not plans, but as you guys sit around strategizing about, you know, what the future potentially looks like, you get these to market, you're making billions of dollars. Um, other interesting sort of neuro indications that you dream about related to some of these mechanisms? Yeah. So we are in the, you know, the interruption of that dopamine cycle, you know, as yeah. I illustrated earlier. So, you know, the bread and butter has always been really focusing on, on nicotine addiction just True. because we know the most about that. Um, but I think interrupting that cycle, you know, there is, you know, uh, you know, there could be applicability in other forms of addictions, you know, whether it be uh, opioids, um, eating, gambling. I mean, there's a number yeah. of, of interesting areas that uh, that we could explore. I think in the near term, you know, we'll con continue to stay focused on the, the nicotine dependent side of things. There's still, I think, a couple of other categories that probably make sense to go after there. Um, as I mentioned earlier, in terms of chewing tobacco or snooze, things like that, that are also growing uh, segments with with no no available treatment options. Um, so it's an interesting compound. And I think, you know, for us, if we're able to get this on the market in particular to help folks quit smoking out of the gate, that's mm -hmm. going to be a huge win. Sure. Um, just given the fact that this uh, this area has been really so unloved over the last couple of, of decades, it could really use another treatment option. Absolutely. 
And that brings me to my next point. I mean, I I, I interview a lot of uh, of biotechs uh, on the show, and sort of you know, ninety nine percent of the time, sort of the strategic plan is you know get some decent phase two data, and and hope Pfizer or JSK or Roche comes along and, and writes a big check. In your case, it looks like the the strategy is sort of the other holy grail of things here in the in the industry, sort of becoming that. FIPCO, a fully integrated, well, in this case, specialty pharmaceutical company, you have people on your team that have a lot of experience in uh, in marketing and commercializing drugs. Um, talk about what that's been like in the sense of, you know, very few of us be, ever become a commercial pharma company, but it seems like that's the strategy here, huh? Yeah, I think we're open to, uh, to to all outcomes here. So, you know, I think uh, we'd welcome partnerships from, you know, whether it's pharma or big biotech, you know, I think any, any group that already has a you know, a, a commercial sales arm in place that this product could be relevant for, um, you know, but with that, we will continue to march this forward to approval and, and get this on on the market. And we see a real opportunity uh, to do that on our own uh, as well. And I think this has been, uh, you know, from a public markets perspective, um, challenging at times because we're in an indication where there just isn't any other innovation going on. I think a lot of the the industry is, been focused on oncology for obvious reasons, but also rare diseases, orphan indications, things like that. Um, and there's been a lot of work historically done uh, around nicotine addiction. And, you know, unfortunately, it's a bit of a graveyard when you look right. back over time at things that have been tried uh, and failed. Um, and so I think, um, you know, people don't always have a filing cabinet for for what we've built here. But I think mm-hmm. here as of late, especially now with the you know, the ability to expand into e-cigarette cessation, I think it's uh, it's more topical. And I think we're starting to see some momentum of people, you know, really getting a, a sense of what the real potential is here. And, you know, as we've worked with a lot of the thought leaders in this space, you know, we continue to hear that they believe that this product could become the gold standard on the awesome. other side of approval, uh, in large part because of the really strong tolerability profile and the fact that we've been seeing single digit rates of adverse events compared to, you know, a category that's been really checkered in terms of uh, of the tolerability, including the the most efficacious product having a box warning for suicidal ideations yeah. um, and only mm-hmm. treating, you know, uh, or only ever getting to about 30 percent of the market, you know, which is a pretty unusual thing to see for the most efficacious product that's been brought forward to date. So we see a real opportunity of, of bringing this forward and marrying strong efficacy with strong tolerability, uh, which is a segment of the market that frankly doesn't exist today. So that's that's the focus. Um, and we think it's going to really resonate both in the hands of uh, not only prescribers, but also potential patients here. Um. So, yeah, I mean, in addition to um, the, the the investor conferences and and so forth that you have um for the company uh you're out there at, at, at different meetings and last month you were at the society for research on nicotine and tobacco very recently life science innovation northwest what anything else aside from the the clinical announcements anything else coming up for the uh uh the months uh, as we we get further into 2023 um conferences that you're going to be presenting this data at places that we can listen to you and meet you possibly and anything else on the calendar that you want to mention, please. 
Yeah, there will be some other forums that uh, that we're presenting at. Uh, there's one uh, this summer uh, that we'll present. It's a, a, a forum around naturally derived products that we think could be interesting. We'll have more more data around that soon. Um, there is a, uh, a Society for Research on Nicotine Tobacco Annual European Conference sure. that we're looking at uh, being a part of as well. And I think the other interesting one that uh, we've been working on behind the scenes is getting our phase three trial uh, that was announced last year published. Uh, and we think, you know, that deserves to be in a, a well-known journal, uh, not something we can control in terms of timing, but we think, um, you know, getting that out there, um, you know, that in a, a recognized forum, we think will be validating as well. So we've got a few pieces there. Um, and then in addition, we'll be working with FDA on the other side of our, our final phase three trial uh, around any final uh, points that will be required for approval, and then looking at really moving this uh, this into a new drug application first half of next year, so we can begin that regulatory review process. Awesome. I'm excited for you. <laughs> I mean, I, I love the story. Uh, clearly, it is, you know, as we chatted at the beginning, um, sort of one of these unrecognized pandemics. Uh, and I, I'm just, you know, I'm I'm so glad to see you uh, succeeding uh, on this particular path and and with the business model and really wishing you you and the company the best with all of it uh, uh, moving forward. Um, again, uh, for everybody that's going to be listening to this particular episode of our show across the podcast networks uh, or watching on the YouTube channel. Again, you've been listening to John Bensich, Chief Executive Officer, Achieve Life Sciences, uh, addressing the global smoking health and nicotine epidemic that's upon us um, with the development of commercialization and novel compounds. Um, John, I want to thank you again for coming on the show and, and, and educating us on what you're up to. Uh, obviously, thanks for doing it. And as we like to say here on our show, uh, thanks for creating a better tomorrow via what you do. Really great story. And, and we're going to continue to follow you and, 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 and wish you the best with the development program. Thanks, I really appreciate the opportunity. Great having you.